My name is Jen Graziano, and I'd like to take a moment to tell you about one of my family's funeral homes, Zion Memorial Chapel. Zion Memorial Chapel is Westchester County's only independently owned, exclusive Jewish funeral home, and that makes all the difference to the families we serve. Our directors represent a team of compassionate, dignified professionals that work one-on-one -on -one with you to plan the final tribute to your loved one. The exceptional service we provide comes at a lower cost because we are independently owned. Unlike other area Jewish funeral homes, Zion stands alone and is dedicated solely to those of the Jewish faith. Whether you are looking to pre-plan and discuss the many options available to you or if a death has occurred, Zion Memorial Chapel is the trusted name for Westchester's Jewish community in their hour of need. Visit us on the web at www.zionchapel.com to learn more about us or call us at 914-381-1809. Our licensed funeral directors are on hand seven days a week to meet one-on-one -on -one with you and walk you through every step of the process. We are Zion Memorial Chapel, a trusted name in Westchester County's Jewish community. And now with your latest up-to-date forecast, here's Steve Pelletieri's Eye on Weather on 1460 WVOX. Thank you for joining us on 1460 WVOX, America's great community radio station where many different voices are heard in the land. Opinions expressed on our community and open line programs are not necessarily those of the station, its management, or sponsors. As always, we're privileged to amplify the voice of the people here on Vox Populi. 1460 and worldwide at WVOX.com for you and yours. Come fly with us every day on America's legendary community station, WVOX, for you and yours at 1460 on your AM dial or streaming live right now at WVOX.com. Better yet, download the WVOX app and take us with you wherever you go. 1460 WVOX. Stay tuned now for Let's Talk About This with Tanya Weiss on 1460 WVOX. to Let's Talk About This with me, Tanya Weiss. I'm the Executive Director of Cancer Support Team, and September is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. So it affects far fewer women than, say, breast cancer, but the symptoms are really easy to miss. And so it's often found at a much later stage. And, of course, that's never a good thing. Today, I've invited two guests to help me spread the word about ovarian cancer. Patty Vaughn is a registered nurse who has worked with Cancer Support Team for 34 years. Wow, welcome, Patty. And in addition, she runs our ovarian cancer group. She invited one of the members of that group, who is a 20-year ovarian cancer survivor, Barbara Benaroff. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. So let's make sure everyone knows what ovarian cancer is. Take it away, Patty. So ovarian cancer is not just one disease. It's really an umbrella term for a number of subsets of cancer. So it can originate in the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, the peritoneum, which is that tissue that lines the abdominal wall and covers the 
abdominal organs. But whether it's called ovarian, fallopian, or peritoneal cancer, the treatment is really basically the same. And how, um, how common is this kind of cancer? Well, the latest statistics um, say that approximately 20,000 American women will be affected this year. And this is really opposed to breast cancer, for example, where 240,000 women will be diagnosed this year. So ovarian cancer is pretty rare. Only about 1.3% of women will be diagnosed with ovarian cancer at some point in their lives. So that's not that many, Patty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, why, so why do we want to get this message out? The important thing about ovarian cancer to remember is that it is often not diagnosed until a very late stage, stage three or four. The mortality rate will tend to be higher than other cancers that are often found at an earlier stage. And with ovarian cancer, the rate of recurrence, meaning coming back or returning, is also much greater. So, Barbara, were you caught at, was your cancer found at an early stage? No, it was not. What stage was it found at? 3A. Three. Mm-hmm. So, and and yet you've been managing to survive for twenty some years. That's yes. phenomenal. Yes. Wow. Well, I do want to hear all about your story, but I want to uh, find out why this is caught so late, Patty. The problem is that the symptoms are often initially very, very vague, and they're very similar to other conditions associated um, with many other diseases, like feeling bloated or being constipated. And many of the women I've worked with have had symptoms for months, and they've gone from doctor to doctor and really eventually getting diagnosed. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because feeling bloated or constipated is is something that all of us experience. So I don't know that I would ever think of ovarian cancer if I was experiencing. I would think of something I ate. Often, Often women will say to me, one day they woke up and all of a sudden they couldn't button their jeans. Huh. And that's how quickly they can notice symptoms like that, which would be probably ascites or fluid in their abdomen. Wow. Um, Barbara, what symptoms did you have? I actually had no symptoms that I was aware of. I went for my routine annual gynecological exam, unaware that anything at all was going on inside my body. For the first time in my life, the internal exam really hurt. And I had just started with a different gynecologist, I remember thinking, how could he not know how to perform an internal exam without it hurting? He suggested I go for a transvaginal ultrasound, which I did. The day before the ultrasound, I remember I had gone running, I played tennis, I went bike riding. I was feeling great. The results of the ultrasound showed that there was fluid in the pelvic area and the right ovary was enlarged. Huh. Okay. So... You really had none of the other sort of symptoms that um, Patty were, was uh, mentioning That's before. Right. That okay, we we all need to be very aware of our bodies. That's the main point That's here. Right. So, Patty, for the record, what kinds of symptoms, if you have them over a long period of time, and please define what that means, um, do women need to think about? Really, what do we need to be aware of? So you might not have all the signs and symptoms. You might only have one or two. Um, but I would say, uh, as I say to all of my patients, if, if something is lasting over a few weeks and it's continuing to reoccur 
or get worse, you really need to see your doctor. But the signs and symptoms generally are pain or pressure in the pelvic area or abdomen, bloating, feeling full too quickly, like after you've um, had a meal and not being able to finish that meal, or maybe even difficulty eating no appetite. Mm. Uh, Also a change in your bathroom habits, such as more frequent or urgent needs to urinate, or a change in your bowel habits, um, being more constipated. Mm -hmm. There are also signs that can be present, although they're less common, um, fatigue, indigestion, back pain, weight loss. What's most important, as you said, is to pay attention to your body, know your body, and know what your normal is. And if you have any unusual vaginal bleeding, to please see a doctor as soon as you can. If you have um, any of these signs for more than um, a few weeks and they are not normal for you, you really need to pursue it with a doctor. So what I'm really saying to everybody is be your best advocate. There might be many other... Uh, possibilities other than cancer that are causing these but the only way to know is to talk with a doctor and um, that is really important especially if you have some specific kinds of risk factors because I know that this occurs in everyone of all nationalities backgrounds races etc however there are some people who do have some risk factors were you before you were diagnosed Barbara aware of risk factors I was totally unaware of ovarian cancer risk factors. No family member or friend had ever had ovarian cancer. I did find out on my journey um, that you have the least risk of getting ovarian cancer if you've been on birth control pill, which I was. If you've had cesarean section, I've had four. Mm. If you've had tubal ligation, I did. If you breastfeed your baby, I nursed all four of my kids. If you follow good nutrition, I do. If you don't smoke, I Mm. don't. If you exercise regularly, I do. So you're the example of the person who did everything right and got cancer anyway. And that's unfortunately so often the case. There are some risk factors, though, right, Patty? What what are the risk factors that those who um, have them should, should make sure that they are then being followed? Right. So I just want to qualify that most women who get ovarian cancer are not at high risk. They right. don't have all these risk factors. But there are some factors that may increase a woman's chance of, of getting ovarian cancer. So obviously a family history of ovarian cancer, breast cancer, uterine, colorectal, um, not just on your mom's side, but on your father's side. Obviously, if you have a personal history of breast cancer, uterine or colorectal cancer, you need to pay more attention. So that's interesting to me because ovarian cancer isn't really the, uh, you know, uh, uh, what it, are all gynecological cancers and breast cancers linked? Uh, it really depends on the pathology of that particular cancer. But okay. um, generally, if you have a personal history of those, you really need to inform your doctor, obviously, and um, understand that you might be at greater risk. Okay. And other factors? And, you know, we hear a lot about genetic mutations, BRCA1 and BRCA2, Lynch syndrome, which is a family cancer syndrome. Also, if you're 
Eastern European or Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi. Thank you for helping me pronounce that. But that is a real risk factor for a lot of women, Ashkenazi Jew background. Mm -hmm. Um, And because there's a relationship between the number of menstrual cycles in a woman's lifetime Mm. and the risk of ovarian cancer, risk factors include early menstruation, like age 12 or earlier, um, late menopause, like after 50, having no children or your first child after the age of 30, no oral contraceptives, being infertile or having infertility treatments, or having endometriosis. Wow. Also, if you're over age 55, um, obesity, hormonal replacement therapy, some of these might be risk factors as well. But to be fair, they really don't have some um, way of determining who will, if they have these risk factors, have this type of cancer. It's all about statistics. Yeah. So if you have a BRCA1 or BRCA2, you know, you're statistically at much higher risk than somebody who perhaps is over age 55. It does not have a history. I see. Okay. And, of course, just because you have a risk factor does not mean you're going to get ovarian cancer. Of course. Of course. But, again, you need to speak with your doctor about your risk. And we're get you know, the, we're in a part of our medical profession right now where you might not have the same doctor that you've had for the last 25 years, and they might be not sharing the same histories. So you need to make sure that each new doctor you see has that history. And um, if you do have a history uh, with relatives, etc., um, who should get genetic counseling? So genetic testing is really um, at its simplest. It looks at different mutations or changes in your genes, and these mutations can be indicators of increased risk for developing certain kinds of cancer, not just ovarian. And if you know about these mutations, um, people with a strong family history of cancer can can get screened more often, um, be more frequently monitored in other ways, and also find ways of in reducing their risk, whether it's um, exercising more, diet, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that, or actually making decisions um, with their doctor involved. Prophylactically for, to take out exactly. the ovaries. Exactly. So, so, Barbara, was genetic testing something that was offered to you? Yes, I went to a genetic counselor. I have a daughter and three sons, and there was no genetic component found. So you had you were doing everything right, and you had no genetic component. Exactly. Oh. Okay. Patty, you were just talking a minute ago about some of the lifestyle um, changes or um, things that we can do to enhance our being healthy and reduce the possibility of getting cancer in general. Why don't you review some of those for our listeners? So, uh, obviously, all the healthy lifestyle behaviors that we we understand are beneficial exercising regularly eating a healthy diet um things like that i i walk during the day but the reality is i might not walk for an hour at one time but over a day i really try to to walk you know shorter walks that add up to an hour i think one of the things the most that's most important is reducing the level of stress in your life because we have found in our practice that chronic stress is a has a big negative impact on people's health 
You know, it's about to be fall, which for me is an exciting time because I love seeing the change in the colors and especially where we're living here in Westchester. And it gives me a moment to to just sort of take a breath and enjoy and love being outside and I don't mind the crisp air I'm on a day like today I wish that it were more like that and um, I understand that feeling about de-stressing whatever it is that we can bring into our lives I know everybody is so busy and those who are still working are juggling work and home and food shopping and, and making dinner etc but it really is important to, to weave in some, a couple couple of times in the day to be able to say okay this moment is just for me even if it's if it's having a cup of tea or like me just looking outside or taking a walk barbara what what do you do to um have find relaxing or de-stressing well that's an easy one for me every day i run for two hours first thing in the morning do you really also prayer that's but that's phenomenal that's really good that does it for me that starts the day off just right wow one morning when i was walking i actually saw this person running towards me in the dark and it was barbara (laughs) so we're listening to let's talk about this on wvox 1460 am and it is ovarian cancer awareness month because it is september and with me are both patty vaughn a registered nurse with cancer support team and also a patient of hers, Barbara Benaroff. So let's talk about screening. Patty, unlike a pap test, there is no ovarian cancer screening, correct? Oh, this is really a sad situation because I would have hoped by now in my practice we would have start to have better screening. But sadly, while screening can prevent many diseases or catch them earlier ovarian cancer really has no definitive screening procedure Um, people talk about the ca125 tumor marker is pretty much all we've had um, for the last 30 years and that's a blood test right that's looking for some specific genetic um, component no it's it's uh, looking for cancer activity inflammation activity that might be might mean cancer Uh and it misses half of the early ovarian cancers and it can cause a lot of false positives and so you certainly don't want want uh, this screening to be used in the general population have a person test positive Mm. for a high ca125 have surgery or biopsy for no reason right so that that just women of ordinary risk will will not benefit from this and is there an age at which ovarian cancer generally is found or um is it can it happen in your 30s I have had women in their 30s with ovarian cancer. Those tend to be a lot more aggressive mm. types of ovarian cancer. Most of the women that I see are probably in their early 60s okay. or so. Yeah. So what if since there is no way to, to determine how you um, may or may not have this type of cancer, why don't you tell us what you recommend to people Pay attention to your body again. If you notice any changes, talk to the doctor. I can't stress enough how more how important it is to be a good advocate for yourself. The reality is that nowadays, um, with the health professionals not being as um, 
available to us and and changing them so often we need to be representing ourselves to all of these different physicians and telling them exactly what our risk factors are exactly what our lifestyle is and um, talking to them about anything that is not normal for our body. And our ovarian cancer patients learn in our support group, which we'll talk about in a little while, to be better advocates for themselves. So, Barbara, how mm-hmm. did you um, become diagnosed? Well, first of all, I just want to emphasize that it's very important to see a gynecologic oncologist rather than your regular gynecologist. I was diagnosed by a surgical gynecologic oncologist Through surgery, in addition to the transvaginal ultrasound, which I mentioned, I had a CA-125 blood test, which is, as Patty said, it's a tumor marker for ovarian cancer. That registered a 14. The normal range is 0 to 35. Uh So the surgeon said there's there's a chance that it's not cancerous, but he also said the radiological findings seem to indicate otherwise. So... He found that there was fluid in the pelvic area. The right ovary was enlarged. There was a small tumor over my bladder. That was removed. The ovaries and uterus were removed. A total oophorectomy mm-hmm. was performed, and I was diagnosed, as I said, with stage 3A ovarian cancer. So um, you then had um, follow-up treatment as well? Yes, I had um, actually... Four, four rounds of chemotherapy because I ended up having two recurrences, four mm-hmm. surgeries. Um, right after my diagnosis, by the way, the oncologist asked me if I'd like to be part of a clinical trial in the hopes of avoiding a recurrence. I said yes, and I was the first at that particular hospital to start taking a pill daily called OSI-774. Once I had my first recurrence, I stopped taking that. So we don't know whether or not that was helpful because maybe your recurrence would have been even earlier or something. So how how you... We're we're, um, jumping ahead, but that's a very interesting story. So you have, over the course of 20 years, had it recur three times? So you've had... I've had two recurrences. So you've had it three times. Four surgeries because the second one was called second look surgery. Uh Uh-huh. The surgeon said not all doctors believed in it, but he did in my particular case, and at that point, there were no signs of cancer found. So how often, uh, how much time in between your recurrences? Uh, I was diagnosed in May of 2003, and my first recurrence was in June of 2004, and my second in March of 2006. But since 2006, you've been cancer-free? My last chemotherapy treatment was August 17th of 2006, but who's counting? Wow. <laughs> Hallelujah. And are you on any type of uh, uh, other type of, I don't know, um, immunotherapy, hormonal treatment, anything at all? Nothing at all. I go for annual gynecologic exams. That's really outstanding news. Yes. Wow. Um, so um, we we did discuss treatments um, with Barbara, but for the record, our registered nurse, why don't you give us a quick review, please, of the different kinds of, of treatments? That- and it can be very confusing to women. So Barbara mentioned the gynecologic oncologist surgeon. They're the person that actually does the surgery, removes the cancer t- tissue. Um, the chemotherapy is done by a medical oncologist. It might be chemotherapy and targeted therapies as well. 
And your doctor might also recommend the genetic testing. And she mentioned a clinical trial. So what are those? So clinical trials, are they're, they're really research studies that test new drugs, new combinations of drugs, and different treatment protocols or plans for fighting cancer. There are many different types by different in- institutions. You really need to speak with your doctor to find out if this might be something for you. So now I want to talk about survivorship. And, and Barbara, you really are an expert. Um, I would imagine that one of the hardest things is to handle the anxiety around, I don't know, the date that you have to go for your checkup or talk talk to us about that. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, after my last chemotherapy, I continued going back to the same surgeon, the gynecologic oncologist, and after about a year, he said, I think you can stop having CAT scans now and MRIs. He must have seen the look on my face because I had anxiety. He said, well... You can continue with them, but there's a slight risk of radiation. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try not to have them. A couple of years after that, he said, you can really go back to your own gynecologist now. Again, he must have seen the look on my face because it was scary to me, that thought. And he said, well, you can continue to come back here, but my nurse practitioner will see you, and I'll be around if anything comes up. So after another year... I went back to my regular gynecologist, and that's where I am now. So I understand that you actually talk to doctors in training about how to be, um, how to handle uh, women with um, ovarian cancer. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, there's a program called Survivors Teaching Students Saving Women's Lives, and we're a group of about 20 women who about three of us at a time, go into medical schools in New York City, and we speak directly to third-year medical students because that's when they have hands-on with patients for the first time, and basically tell our stories in the hopes that when these students become doctors and they're seeing patients and hearing their stories, that they'll keep the possibility of ovarian cancer in their minds because the really the goal is early diagnosis. And that's why we're, we are doing a program like this. I mean, that's why there is such a thing as September being Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month because we want everyone, both women and their loved ones, to know the different kinds of signs to be looking for because they are, as Patty said earlier, really vague. Patty, what are some of the other issues about survivorship? Because tell us about this um, wonderful ovarian cancer support group you've been running now i think it's in its 24th year it's hard to believe um i had a few patients at the same time with ovarian cancer they were struggling with the side effects and the statistical possibility that the disease was probably going to reoccur and that their lives might be shortened and they were interested in getting together with other women who were experiencing the same issues they found there weren't many other ovarian cancer patients to speak with. And so it was a very isolating feeling. And a general support group just wasn't doing it for them. So we talk about everything. Uh, We talk about how um, family members can better support us, what people say that's not helpful, how to manage side effects, what to try if this treatment isn't working, how to be a better advocate. Um, Barbara is a wonderful mentor to many of the other people in the group uh, as a long-time survivor. She gives everybody a sense of hope. 
So, Barbara, why do you participate? You know, shortly after my diagnosis, I knew I wanted to reach out for some support, and I had no idea where to go for that. I literally, back in those days, I opened up the yellow pages of the phone book. I saw a cancer support team listed, picked up the phone and called. Patty Vaughn answered the phone. After my conversation with her, I remember thinking, I just hit the jackpot. Patty was so kind, understanding, informative, and I began the monthly support group there, the meetings led by Patty, and eventually a wonderful social worker joined too. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really the very best way I could have helped myself because I find that the meetings there talk about what we're feeling on the inside. You know, we have to find a balance between the medical jargon I was hearing and a little bit of serenity. So, Patty, if someone wants to join the group, where, how would they do that? Well, you can certainly call our office at 914-777-2777 or our website, www.cancersupportteam.org. I'll call you right back. That would, and I um, am also aware that it's just the tip of the iceberg in a way because the support group is only one aspect of all the wonderful things that our agency offers. Why do you love being a nurse with CST? Oh, goodness. There's too much, too much to say. But if I can help in one small way to help people at a very difficult struggle in their lives, I am honored to do so. I am delighted. I want to thank you both, uh, Patty Vaughn, our registered nurse, and Barbara Benaroff, for sharing this really vital information. And I really do hope that those that are listening um, become more aware of the kinds of uh, issues that your body does tell you very subtly. Um, And I think above all, uh, the piece of advice I heard was to really know your body because that's really critical and it's not just critical for this type of cancer but for all types of cancers. My agency, Cancer Support Team, is dedicated to helping anyone with a cancer diagnosis and their caregivers as well who live in Westchester County and to be able to help them find resources, support, and be educated about their disease.